You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. The the presence of the Lord is here this morning. Um, A gentle gentle draw of the Lord to come and wait on him. That is actually paradoxical to what our mind says. Our mind wants to move on all the time. Do you guys ever have that sense in worship? That happens to me too. I'm not um, that far beyond anyone in this place. My mind sometimes tries to draw me to other places as I'm set to worship the Lord, but there's such strength that meets us in the person of Jesus when we learn to wait on the Lord. And I said this a couple years ago, I feel like the, the super strength of this hour in the church is going to be waiting on the Lord. A people that learn to wait on him and find their strength in him. And we sensed it this morning as we slowed down our hearts and waited on him, he came in like a flood and ministered to our hearts and filled us and and he becomes our source rather than some other leader to try to orchestrate something. The Lord becomes the premier leader in this place. If you have your Bibles, open up to Hebrews chapter five this morning. I want us to just continue this journey through the book of Hebrews. This was a book I've spent the last couple of years in and as I've gone through it, it has just stirred my heart to love Jesus more and that's why I've wanted to bring this to you um, because I want us to love Jesus more and more and more every single day, to fall more in love with Jesus every day. And so far in the book of Hebrews, we've seen that he is greater than the angels, that he's greater than the prophets, that he's greater than Moses. We've seen that Jesus is our great high priest. We talked about that last week, really, which was the introduction to the, the primary theme of the book of Hebrews, that Jesus is our great high priest. And so the writer of Hebrews, he'll, he'll bring us back to that, that prime theme, that, that main theme of the book of Hebrews, that Jesus is our great high priest. He is the fulfillment of this entire redemptive story from, from the very beginning, from the, from the garden, the creation story, to now. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that. But he's gonna press pause here in Hebrews chapter five. He's been building and building and building, but he's gonna press pause on that teaching because he wants to give them a firm warning. He wants to give them a sober warning of maybe some concern that he has for them waffling in immaturity, for them potentially wavering, stalling out in apathy and laziness. So he gives them this firm warning that we're going to talk about this morning. There is somewhere the Lord's taking us for all of us, not just a select few, not some just spiritual elite, but all of us to grow up into salvation, for all of us to grow up into maturity. I was recently looking through old uh, family videos. My, one of my roles in my house is to put together a photo book at the end of every uh, year. So it's January, so I'm putting together, this is my gift to my wife because she takes thousands of pictures, but she doesn't have the, uh, the, the discipline to sit down and then organize all those pictures. <laughs> Therefore, that's my role, to condense them down into uh, consumable, consumable formats. And so, um, so I've, I've been in that mode, but I, I went way back into home videos back um, seven years ago. So my, our youngest is now seven years old, and there it was, the video of her first time eating. If you're a parent in this place, you probably remember one of your kids, the first time them taking their bite of baby food. All they had had is is mother's milk and then they they take that first bite of baby food and usually their face is 
is having some funny look and they're spitting it out and it's a mess. For that video, all of us, our entire family, our three, our three other kids, my wife, myself, we were all gathered around her, gawking at her, you know, laughing with her, enjoying the moment because there was something beautiful about her stepping into that, that moment of growing and maturing. But if she stayed there in that moment forever, that would actually be a tragedy. It would actually be sad if here seven years later we were all gathered around her still gawking at the fact that she's taking a bite, right? If she was still spitting up her food out of her mouth, that would be tragic, it'd be sad. And so it is as we walk with the Lord, there is a progression, there is a maturity that the Lord is calling us into to go somewhere, for us to grow up into salvation, to not stay in immaturity and and be undeveloped in the Lord, but for all of us to grow up and be made strong and mature in the Lord. And that is the firm warning here in Hebrews chapter five. God's will is for us to mature. Everyone, not just some. Not just those that we think have it easier. It's all of us growing up into Christ. Just look at this similar warning in 1 Peter chapter two. He uses a lot of the same language Peter does in his letter to the believers scattered across Asia. He says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So if you've really taken that first bite of food and tasted that the Lord is good and surrendered your life to him, it should lead you in a progression from glory to glory, from strength to strength, from faith to faith, up into maturity. To actually begin to look more and more like Christ, to grow up into maturity. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So Peter's gonna use very similar language to the writer of Hebrews. The Lord is building us up into something, a place where the Lord's presence dwells in our midst, and that we would be ones that cultivate and keep the presence of God, all of us. It's, this is the priesthood of the believers. This is the, all of us calling, uh, all of us stepping into our calling to be a nation of priests, a people, a priests that serve in the house of God. Not the four walls of this church, but together we serve the presence of God, him being our focal point. All of us stepping into that calling, not just some. But the real tragedy And reality is is that not everyone does step into maturity. It's available for everybody. It's it's the call of God on everyone's life. But not everyone does. What the writer of Hebrews is concerned about is something that is not new to humanity. This is an age-old issue. There is this delusion that falls upon us when we accumulate a lot of information, We can create this feeling that that's synonymous to maturity. We accumulate a lot of information as kind of a pretend maturity. This is an issue of putting off obedience, putting off a response to truth. We hear it, but we don't do anything to respond. We're hearers of the word, but we're not doers of the word. 
It's an issue of putting up with the same old sin issues and making excuses for ourselves rather than digging our heels in the ground, setting our hearts intent on the Lord that, that he paid for our full victory over sin. It's an issue of wavering on the fundamentals. So Jesus was introduced last week when we started talking through Hebrews chapter five, verse four, the writer of Hebrews introduced Jesus as our high priest. And he's gonna get more into it, but I just want this imagery to kind of set up the context of where, where we are this morning. Context is everything here. Jesus is our high priest standing before the danger zone, which is the holy of holies. He himself led the way into the holy of holies. If he wouldn't have led the way, we would have died. But he led the way into the holy of holies before the holy throne room of God, before the mercy seat. He offered himself as the sacrifice. And therefore, we follow his lead into the holy of holies. Our eyes are fixed on him as our high priest, as our sufficient sacrifice. And so it would be foolishness for us to take our eyes off our leader, off our high priest. He is our leader. And that's the call into maturity is for us to fix our eyes on our great high priest. I remember a trip I took to the beautiful nation of Guatemala 25 years ago at this point probably. Yeah, 20, at least yeah, over 20 years ago. And... Um, I've been there seven times and I've been to the nation of Guatemala, but one of my trips there, my friend and host, his name is Luis, his mom specifically loved to give us a great time and fill our, our time there with as many excursions and adventures as possible. And it's a beautiful nation. There's so much to do in that beautiful country. But not all parts of Guatemala are, are safe. Specifically in the last 10 years, it's gotten even more and more dangerous. And, um, and this has made my friend Luis a little more skittish. He's actually been held at gunpoint. His dad's actually been um, kidnapped, or I, I don't know what it means when an adult is kidnapped. And he's adult napped. He, he's been ho held hostage for ransom. I mean, serious stuff. So it's not just um, you know fearful paranoia. It's it's re it's real, like the danger there. Um, but there's one space in Guatemala City called Zone One. The city's broken up into zones, but Zone One. Is a, it's an open air market, and it is a glimpse of authentic Guatemala City. And so, my friend's mom, Luisa's mom, she loved to take people there. She she just felt like it was a good glimpse of the city and the culture. My friend Luis hated it, and he hated it because it felt dangerous. He felt like it was sketchy. You had to always be watching yourself. People always got in trouble in Zone One. So, we followed uh, his mom's lead, and we we went to Zone One, but. But my friend gave me the, like he looked me in the eyes. He was, he was scared. He was nervous. He's like, Drew, just do not leave my side. Just follow me. Like, keep your eyes on me. We're going to get through this. We'll make our way through it and we'll satisfy my mom and we'll get to the other side. But in my foolishness, I was so undone by the, the busyness and the crowds and the, the culture and the colors and the, the noises. It didn't take more than 10 minutes in there and I had lost my friend Luis. Like literally, you know, everyone was yelling, everyone was telling me I was their amigo, so I was, you know, I was distracted, so. Oh, really, oh, we're friends. For me, a special offer today, oh, great. Distracted, and I look up, and my friend, his mom, they're gone. 
my heart begins to race. I try to keep my cool, finish up my conversation with my, my new amigo. And, and before I know it, my friend Luis taps me from behind. So I had gotten in the lead of him somehow, or I don't know if he went around, um, but he had been behind me. I wonder sometimes in the Lord how often, you know, we, we have our eyes fixed on our great high priest who's leading the way into the danger zone of the Holy of Holies. And we easily just, we get distracted here and there. Before we know it, we've, we've moved ahead of, of our Lord and Savior. We've moved ahead of our great high priest, our great leader. Maturity is slow, low and slow, keeping our eyes fixed on our great high priest who is leading us in to the holy of holies. So let's look at this firm warning in Hebrews chapter five, verse 11. Then we will end this morning beautifully coming to the Lord's Supper, coming and receiving communion together as a church family. It says in Hebrews chapter five, verse 11, there is much more we would like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. So he is gonna go on to explain. We're gonna get into that in the weeks to come. He will get on, he'll come back to this priestly order of Melchizedek. That's where he's going next. But he just wants to pause first because there's a little concern welling up in his heart that these listeners are, these hearers are spiritually dull. That word spiritually dull can also be translated wistfully forgetful. You hear it, you, you nod your head, you say you understand, but, but we don't. This is kind of a repeat of some things he's already said. You remember that, that caution he had said earlier in Hebrews chapter three and uh, chapter four. He said, today if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts in the wilderness. He doesn't want them to be spiritually dull He's, he's worried that potentially they're not really listening. They're hearing the noise or they're going through the motions. They're maybe sitting in the, the church gatherings in the, in the house churches, but he's concerned that they're not really listening. They're spiritually dull. Verse 12, you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. Similar imagery as, as Peter. Feels like we still have to hand feed you, like your first, the first time eating. You should be beyond that now. You should be up at a point where you can teach others. He's not saying that everyone is going to be a teacher or a preacher. There are specific offices in the church. But, but I don't know that there's much greater demonstration of our understanding than our ability to be able to explain something to somebody else. I learned that in engineering school. I learned to be a good test taker. But then my friend would ask me to explain to him the concepts and I just kind of looked blankly at him because I didn't understand it at a higher level. I could learn to get through the tests, to get a good grade. But understanding moves beyond just getting the right answer. Understanding is the ability to teach others. And so we should all be able to come to this place where we can teach others about the ways of Christ, teach others the gospel, the basics of Christianity, which he's going to expound on here in a minute. 
Verse 13, for someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. So this is God's will for every single person, is that you move up into the solid food and the meat of God's word, that you learn to digest, that you savor the milk, that you love the spiritual milk, that you cherish it, that it becomes the, the, the source and the seedbed and the foundation of everything, but that you also then learn to digest the meat as well. So immaturity is not God's will for you. You can be confident in that. You can be confident that it's not God's will for you to continue to, to linger in immaturity perpetually. Just like a child, there's, spirit, there's natural development there's, and physical development, there's spiritual development. Just like a child learns to digest food and to even feed themselves, so it is with the Lord. You know, I, I don't cut my, my 12-year-old son's steak anymore. He cuts his own steak. He, he's learned to, to cut his own food up for himself and because we've trained a child and they've developed the skills to be able to do that. That's growing up into something, maturing. Chapter six, verse one. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. He's not saying that we're abandoning the first things. Some translations say, now let us leave those things. More so, the language is, is describing not continuing to lay down the foundation over and over and over again. How foolish would it be if we were building a structure, a building, and we kept building the foundation, and then we tore it down, and then we build the, built the foundation again and again. That would be lunacy, right? We're building something, and the foundation has its proper context, and then on that foundation, we build a structure. And remember, the Lord is building us together to be a spiritual house. So we establish the foundation and we don't abandon the foundation, but on that foundation, we build something beautiful, a place for the presence of God to dwell. So we don't need to continue to lay the foundation. It doesn't mean we move on from the teachings of Christ or we stop preaching the gospel. It's we proclaim the gospel boldly, especially for those that have never heard so they can boldly respond, clearly respond to the message of Jesus and they can begin their journey of growing up into the Lord. That becomes a, a hearty diet of the pure spiritual milk for all of us, but then also in our own personal lives, growing up to learn to digest the meat of God's word in the secret place for ourselves as well. So what are some of these foundational instructions he alludes to or points us to, towards? He says repentance and turning to God is part of that foundation. 
That's where it all starts, right? Is turning from our own self-sufficiency and turning towards the sole sufficiency of Jesus alone. Repentance and faith towards him. Turning to God. He says baptisms. That severing of the old life. We can't waffle on that. Either we've been severed from our old life, associating with Christ's death, and we've been raised to new life, or we haven't. Foundation becomes that, that clear, delineating moment in time, that marker. There's, there was hopefully a moment where you surrendered your life to Christ. You became born again, but hopefully there was a, a moment in community, a moment for public declaration, public confession, where you can sever your life from your old self and fully embrace your new life in Christ. That's a big deal. Actually, uh, coming up here in February, February 19th, we will be celebrating water baptism. So if you want to be baptized in water, February 19th, just reach out to us and we'd love to celebrate the Lord's work in your life. He says the laying on of hands, which, which is maybe a, a lost foundation in the Western church because we all like our space, right? Like, well, don't touch me. Like, we, we want our space. But the laying on of hands, especially for Hebrew here listeners, was something that denoted family blessing. It denoted adoption into family. And so when we say yes to Jesus, a non-negotiable, a foundational elementary reality is that we're adopted into family. It is individual salvation, but it, it, it also immediately becomes community-oriented in the fact that we're adopted into a family. Now we have brothers and sisters. We have a father. We've been adopted into family. And so that laying on of hands is this, this precious um, transfer of blessing that happens in the context of family. And he says the resurrection from the, from the dead, which we, ex, which we get to experience and receive a foretaste of now through this new life in Christ, but the fullness we will receive in the, in the age to come when we're resurrected from the dead and we join and rule and reign with Christ. This is foundational. And finally, living our lives in the sight of God. He says, or in, in light of eternal judgment. Like we're not living for the temporary. We're not living just for here and now. We're living before a holy God, an eternal God, in the sight of God, in light of the fact that we will be, we will be judged eternally for the things that we do in this body. Let's keep reading. For it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who are once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, who've tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come, and who then turn away from God. It's impossible to bring such people back to repentance. By rejecting the Son of God, they themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up to public shame. So the warning is kind of crescendoed to this moment. He's, you, can, you can kind of see him at a crossroads and he's pointing down this path, this path which leads towards rejection of the Lord, ultimately. A complete, like apostate, re rejected believer that's saying, I, I don't want anything to do with the Lord. That person cannot come back to the Lord because they've rejected the Lord. You can't live in both realities. Either you've embraced him fully or you've, you've rejected him. So he's, the writer of Hebrews is giving them this warning. Obstinate disobedience over time leads some, somewhere. 
And it leads to complete rebellion. If you continue to harden your heart over time, that is your demise. That is what you will receive. So God's will is over here that we would go towards and move and grow up into maturity. But there's consequences. And he'll give us these quick kind of parables of these consequences. He says, verse seven, when the ground soaks up the falling falling rain and bears a good crop for the farmer, it has God's blessing. So that's the life of maturity, is fruitfulness. If you abide in him and, you and, and he in you, you will bear fruit. But if, a, but if a field bears thorn and thistles, it's useless. The farmer will soon condemn that field and burn it. So there are consequences for us continually hardening our hearts. Eventually, it will burn us. Like if we continue to play with fire, we, we put off the, the clear warnings of the Lord, we continue to put off the proddings of the Lord, the discipline of the Lord, the ways the Lord is trying to build us up into the men and the women of God that he's called us to be. There's consequences. Eventually it will burn us. And Jesus gave us a similar warning. He said to him, or to, to he who is given much, much is required. And he was specifically referring to Revelation. That was in reference to parables and the, the understanding of the parables. So if you have been given much understanding of the Lord, and that's why the writer of Hebrews uses the language that he uses, those who have tasted of the, the heavenly things and tasted the goodness of the word of God, exper- experienced and shared in the Holy Spirit, like you've gone that far down the road of experiencing and receiving from the Lord, and yet you still make that decision in your heart that you want to stay in immaturity. Really, that what that is is rebellion. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. So you can, you can hear the, the warning in his heart. You can hear the, the, the passion, the, the zeal in his heart for the, the listeners to take heed. And this is what he says in verse nine. Here's his encouragement, here's his hope. And this is my hope for us as well. Dear friends, even though we're talking this way, I really don't believe it applies to you. We're confident that you're meant for better things, things that come with salvation. So that is my prayer. My prayer is that every single person in this place would choose the path towards growing up into salvation, growing up into the the man or the woman that God's called them to be to reflect the image of Christ. For God is not unjust, He will not forget how hard you've worked for him and how you've shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you still do. So that's faith with works. It's not works void of faith or works void of love. He's saying it's because of your love for the Lord that you you love these people, you worked for them. Verse 11, our great desire is that you'll keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. So he ends where he started. Instead, you will follow the example of, example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. So he does end with faith for these people. That they would heed the warning, that they would grow up into maturity. And so in these final few verses, I I do believe he gives a a glimpse of what maturity specifically looks like. So I want to kind of summarize to close. I want to summarize from these these verses, you know, what immaturity is 
in a nutshell, and what maturity is. This is what you can easily take notes on. This is what immaturity is. Immaturity is treating what is sacred as common. Immaturity is tasting of the heavenly gift, sharing in the Holy Spirit, and then essentially stomping on it, squandering it. That is immaturity. And I would just caution us in this Western world where we have such easy access to corporate expressions of the presence of God and such easy access to the sacred word of God that we proceed carefully, soberly, that we proceed humbly, that we don't treat what is sacred as common. Remember, we have a high priest that's leading us into the holy of holies. So all of this is shrouded, is, is completely clothed, immersed in things that are sacred, not things that are common, not things that are meant to be squandered. Remember, we're part of his holy body, the body of Christ. So these things are holy things. But from the very beginning, the age-old human issue has been squandering the sacred, the Lord told them not to touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they touched it. The Lord told them to wait at the, the foot of the mountain while Moses met with God. And so they crafted a, an image to worship in the golden calf. This has been the age-old issue of looking upon things that are holy, but then squandering them by treating them as common. That is immaturity. This irreverence for God, an irreverence for his body, a heart posture that takes for granted what has been given to us so freely. It treats the things of God like they're a game. It treats church like it's a social club. It allows for an intermingling of other motivations into our pursuits of the Lord or into our pursuit of the Lord. That is immaturity. Secondly, immaturity is a lack of hunger. This immaturity is marked by this person who's really malnourished because they've been waffling in this place of just eating milk, trying to live off that for their entire life. They never, they never moved on from infancy into anything else, any other uh, of a more substantial diet. So they're malnourished and they're weak. I believe in our age, there's often a lack of hunger because we are so filled up with the synthetic and the artificial. Like we're so filled up with all of this stuff. And this is the thing I have to guard in my own heart as well. That fast at the beginning of the, the year that we kicked off together was so good for my soul, so reinvigorating for my hunger for the Lord. Because I realize that I fill my life with so much artificial, so much synthetic. And so the, the warning then to the church in Revelation is repent and do the things you did at first. See how far you've fallen, repent, and do those things at first. Return to your first love. 
Thirdly, immaturity is staying in unbelief. So first was treating what is sacred as common. Second is irreverence, or sorry, second is a lack of hunger. Third is staying in unbelief. This is not recognizing that we are spiritually dull or wistfully forgetful. It's very revealing in the Gospels. Those who want to stay in their unbelief or those who want to come out of it, who want to see the Lord's invitation out of their unbelief. The Pharisees would ask questions, but you'll quickly realize as they're asking these questions of Jesus that they're not looking for answers. In fact, they already, they already kind of had an answer and many times they were just trying to trap him. Humility says, help me in my unbelief. Humility doesn't allow, to be stay, uh, allow ourselves to stay in this place of perpetual unbelief. And fourth is this, immaturity is perpetually self-focused. Perpetually self-focused. You know, in infancy and even through adolescence, what is the essence of maturity? It's learning to look beyond ourselves. It's learning... It's learning to take on responsibility for the building up of others, to take interest in the needs of others. And so immaturity is perpetually self-focused. This is normal for a while to be focused on ourselves. When we first encounter the Lord and we're born again, we have to learn, okay, how do I eat of the Lord? How do I eat of his word? How do I learn to talk to him? How do I live in community now with these other Jesus people? How do I do those things? And you're asking those questions of yourself. There comes a moment in our walk with the Lord, in our growing up into salvation, where we begin to take our eyes off of ourselves and we begin to move out. This is what he's talking about towards the end of this passage. The reason why he didn't think they were bound for immaturities because I've seen your love for the Lord and it's being fleshed out with other people. It's being fleshed out in this love for other people. So I would say, you know, one of the, the great cancers within the church in the West is people who have been long-standing believers but have stayed in immaturity and still they're looking for the church to meet all their needs. The reality as we look at scripture is that the church doesn't exist for you. It exists for his glory. And so as we grow up into maturity, we begin to realize, oh, this isn't for me. Oh, the coffee wasn't quite hot enough or there was something on the floor or they didn't have valet parking. You know, we realize, oh, this isn't for me. This is for the glory of the Lord. Our eyes are on him. And quickly, as you keep your eyes on him, he'll highlight other people that you can then build up for his glory. So immaturity is treating what is sacred as common. It's a lack of hunger. It's staying in unbelief. It's perpetually self-focused. So then what is maturity? I think there's so much in this passage. I'm gonna actually ask uh, Jancy to come forward um, to the keys. Dr. Jancy, where? Oh, there you are, cool. Just play some pads, just simple pads. We're gonna receive the Lord's Supper, but maturity is this, being continually captivated and wooed by the wonder and holiness of Christ, which is a lot, but it's essentially continually being captivated by the Lord. Remember, our, remember who our great high priest is that's leading us in this whole thing. 
our eyes stay on him. We realize we are going into the danger zone, which is, which is the things that are sacred. And so our eyes need to be fixed on the Lord. He needs to continue to captivate and woo our hearts. He is our high priest. He is our represent, representation before a holy God. I love this quote by Jonathan Edwards that I've shared with you before, but it says this, Jonathan Edwards, who was a leader in the first great awakening in, in Europe and America, he said, true change doesn't happen by beating off those old affections for the world. It comes by being drawn off by the sight of something better. As your eyes begin to lock into the Lord day after day, week after week, year after year, those old affections will fade away. They'll become less scintillating, less tempting, less of a draw because you're eating of the richest affair. You're eating of the goodness of the Lord. And that is maturity, is continually being captivated and wooed by his holiness, the holiness of Christ. Maturity is this, maturity is hunger. It's appreciating the foundation of the spiritual milk, but then hungering also for more, realizing that is the starting place, that is the foundation. But there is a, a hearty meal ready for you every day for you to feed on. I believe hunger begets hunger. Begin to feed on the right things and your hunger will bloom. It will blossom and grow as you chase after the Lord. People I have admired over my life are people who are more hungry for God today than they ever have been before. I remember ha hanging out with a great saint who is now with the Lord. His name is Dick Schroeder. We've, we had had him in here many times when I first became pastor and when I was serving in Kyle as well. But Dick Schroeder was a, a prophet and a, um, just an amazing man of God who walked with the Lord. But when we would just hang out with him in our home, he'd be beaming with the Lord in such a way that made me hunger for the Lord more. My kids would witness him spending time with the Lord, praying, reading the word. He'd say, hey, come on, Lucy, come up here on my, on my lap. And he would read the word with her there on his lap. And he hungered for the Lord in a way that was contagious. There he was late, late in his life in his 70s and he was still hungry for Jesus. That's maturity. Thirdly, maturity is growing from faith to faith. Maturity is the grace to recognize the opportunities for faith to be exercised. You realize that we can't just be hearers of that word, but we need to also be doers of the word. He, he was cautious at the beginning of this passage because he, he didn't feel like maybe some of them were listening. Like they were just hearing it, but they weren't, there wasn't necessarily a response. Growing from faith to faith means you respond boldly to the faith that the Lord has given you. And what he'll do is he'll entrust you out into deeper waters. As you respond, as he gives you grace to respond and recognize an opportunity for faith to be exercised, he'll entrust you with more. And that's maturity. I remember in my trip to Israel, right before COVID broke out, to the end of 2019, I got to take a trip to Israel, trip of a lifetime, 
with a group of other pastors and we got to go out into the Judean wilderness and they let us all just spread out and go uh, find our own place with the Lord in the Judean wilderness. So this space where Jesus himself was for 40 days, fasting and being with the Father, also submitting and subjecting himself to temptations. And I really felt like the Lord dropped something in my heart because I wrote this in my journal. I said, the Lord is calling me to true maturity but true maturity is costly. This means I need to know the word to put off the flesh. I need to put off gratification. I need to do the right thing when no one is around. So true, true maturity is doing something with the faith that the Lord has given you right here, right now, and stop putting off excuses. Immaturity is, is making excuses for yourself all the time. Maturity is responding in faith right now with what's been given you. It's maturity. Fourthly is this. Maturity is letting the flow of God impact other people's lives. There's this flow of God in you that's going to impact the people around you and that is God's will for you is that you would abide in him and he in you and there, from there, you would bear much fruit. His encouragement to them at the end was the reality that they showed such extravagant love to each other. They truly cared for other believers. They had a love for Jesus that was then demonstrated and manifested to the people around them. And that is the essence of maturity. That's why he, that's why after he warned them, he cautioned them, he also then encouraged them because he said, this is, these are really markers of maturity that I see in you. The love of God is impacting other people's lives and this is God's will for every single person in this place. And so you yourself would carry a ministry of love to people, of impacting people's lives for the Lord. This, is, this has really been the, the, um, the driver to and our motivation to us starting and launching Jesus School. We started Jesus School this year. We're in our inaugural year and it has been an amazing year so far, but really the heart behind that school is to create an environment for people who really sense that they want to be used by God to come and sit at the feet of Jesus. And we knew as they got into the presence of God, their hearts began to love him more. From that place, they would then learn to do the acts. They would then learn to love other people. Oftentimes in leadership schools and Bible schools, it's the opposite. You first learn the doing, you first learn the mechanics of how to perform the stuff, how to go through the motions, and you neglect the, the first things. You neglect the, the heart postures of loving the Lord with all that you are. So we decided to, to flip it on head in Jesus school. And we've called people to come and sit at the feet of Jesus, allow their hearts to burn in love for him. And from that place, as they abide in him, they will bear much fruit. And so every Thursday afternoon, they do outreach around our city. They go out and witness and they're led by the Lord. They serve in the shelters. They serve all around town doing things. But it's after an entire week of sitting in the presence of the Lord. It's, it's an entire week of basking in his goodness, worshiping for hours and receiving from the Lord. So they're so filled up, there's something in them that's gonna erupt. That's God's will for us. And that's maturity. I want us to respond to the Lord. If you'd all stand to your feet, we're gonna receive communion as well this morning.
God's will for you, I hope I convinced your heart, I hope God's word convinced your heart, God's will for you is to grow up into salvation, into maturity. I just wanna pray over us. Could you just put yourself in a posture to respond to the Lord? You know if you've been waffling in immaturity, so just respond to the Lord right now. If you've been treating what's sacred as common, if you've been lacking hunger, if you've been staying in unbelief, if you've been perpetually self-focused, respond to the Lord right now. Respond to him. Repent of those things. He's calling you out. He's calling you out into maturity. Help us be a people that grow up into salvation, who grow up into maturity. What was cute and precious in one season of our time and our infancy in you is no longer cute or even acceptable. Now you're calling us into something more. And so for those that have been waffling for too long, been wavering in apathy and putting up with a lack of hunger and earnestness and love for the Lord. I pray that today you would recalibrate their hunger for you, that you would set them on fire for you, Jesus, that they would really respond to you, respond to your grace. This is your grace calling them. Your grace is calling them out, inviting them in drawing them closer to the Holy of Holies. God, for those that are perpetually self-focused, set them free this morning that when they actually just look at you, you begin to set their, their hearts ablaze in ways that they never knew possible and you also begin to light their hearts on fire for a love for other people. And through that, miraculously, you do heal our hearts. You do bind up our broken hearts and our, the wounds that are there and you do take care of our needs, but it's actually when we give of ourselves selflessly and look to the interests of others that our needs are truly met miraculously by our Father who provides for us. I pray that you'd set us free in a culture that's so self-focused, self-obsessed. Set us free, King Jesus. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.